Jenny read a moment ago from uh, Matthew and from 2 Corinthians about our Scripture passages for this morning. I just want to highlight this one phrase from 2 Corinthians 2.15. It says, For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Our theme this morning is the aroma of fellowship. And I'd like to start with a prayer and um, enter into this spirit of thanksgiving that will continue on throughout the week. Lord God, we are thankful for the many blessings that you send our way. This morning as we woke up, we had light, we had air to breathe, we had a relative warmth for this time of year over this weekend. And you provide for us. We recognize that in all of our lives there are up seasons and there are down seasons and there are good days and there are tough days. But overall, we have seen your hand in so many ways blessing us. And so we are grateful and we want to stop and, and say thank you, even in the midst of this COVID season, recognizing that you are a God throughout all our days who has been committed to this process of redemption. And Lord, sometimes we, tr- we struggle to understand what you're doing at given moments, but when we look at the, the broad sweep of what you have been doing from the time that you met Adam and Eve in the midst of their rebellion, and even then you, you spoke of the, the earliest signs and signals that our Redeemer would come and that you would break the back of the evil one. We thank you that even in the midst of those days of, of slavery in Egypt, you, you called a Moses and you gave him a vision of what you would do and how you would release your people. And then through the dark days of uh, the years when the, the kingdom of Israel was falling apart, you gave the prophets messages that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would be the one who would bring the, the hope of salvation and that you would open this plan up to the entire world. And so we recognize that even in the difficult days that we face right now, that you are at work behind the scenes. And we trust you because you have identified yourself through acts of redemption in the past. And we thank you for all of your mercies. We thank you for all the blessings that you have given us through the years of our lives, but in the centuries that have come before us. And because of all that we have seen from your hand in the Scriptures We can thank you for what is yet to come. Fill our hearts this week, and not just with a a day of thanksgiving or a, a holiday of thanksgiving, but fill us with the discipline that leads to a life of thanksgiving, seeing your blessings in all that happens and looking for the good that is around us. Thank you for being an almighty God who can change all things and all people. We continue to pour out our requests to you, knowing that Sometimes when we pray that you choose to unite our prayers with what you have decided to do already, but you are just waiting, waiting for us to agree with you, waiting for us to call on you. And so we call on you to to bring relief to this nation and to the world around us and for you to show us what you are up to. Thank you for allowing us to gather here in this place today and through the tools that we use so that we can watch online. Keep us together as one church as one family of faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few nights ago, my wife Sue and I were watching one of the new episodes of The Crown on Netflix. And there was one scene that caught my attention where Queen Elizabeth 
invited England's new Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, to Balmoral Castle, the royal estate in Scotland. What Mrs. Thatcher did not realize was that the royal family used Balmoral for outdoor recreation and relaxation in order to get away from the daily strain of national concerns and royal duties. This was not a working holiday, in other words. So on her first morning at Balmoral, one of the house, royal housemaids wakened Mrs. Thatcher at dawn so that the Prime Minister could then join the Queen in hiking through the hills in hoping of tracking down a large reindeer that had been sighted the day before. Mrs. Thatcher showed up with all of the wrong gear, low-heeled street shoes and a beautiful blue dress. So the Queen loaned her some hiking boots, but she was still very much out of place. At one point, Mrs. Thatcher stumbled and made a sharp noise that the Queen frowned upon. And then that led to a, a mild uh, complaint from Thatcher, and uh, in result, uh, a, a lecture about how next time the Prime Minister should come with appropriate clothing and avoid wearing deodorant or perfume, because she was sure that the reindeer had already smelled the aroma of the Prime Minister from a distance. That made me think for a minute. Her perfume acted as an aroma that in most situations would be considered pleasant, but in this outdoor hunting scenario, that same aroma alerted and scared off an animal they were tracking. Question. Are you aware that the fellowship of Christians has an aroma? Has an aroma that the rest of the world can pick up on the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his New Testament letters, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other we are an aroma that speaks of life. That observation leads me to a question. Do you and I fully understand the role and function of the Christian church as a fellowship? Is our fellowship together attractive or repellent? This month, we are working through a series that refreshes our understanding of God's five purposes for every Christian. By focusing our attention on these five purposes that come from Jesus, each week we are adding more understanding of why God has put us here on earth. So today, we are focusing on the purpose of fellowship this weekend is part four of our Reclaim Your Purpose series, and it centers on this topic, the aroma of fellowship. I want you to think about that concept for a moment, for the aroma of fellowship. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So let me say good morning. I am so glad to greet those of you who are in the house. This is so much better than the days when there were two people that we would preach to when we had a little studio set up. And it's great to see people coming back week by week and to know that many of you are watching online and even out of state, you, you are connecting with us week after week. And I'm delighted that you're here. We are all learning and growing in Christ together. And our aim is to help every person who is part of North River find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. We're going to start today by looking at four foundations of Christian fellowship. Now, here's where we've been the last few weeks. We discovered that worshiping God is our highest priority. That's the value of worship. We talked about how people begin to see Jesus as we love and serve others in the way that Jesus did. That's ministry. Last week, we talked about how we are becoming disciples who obey Jesus in everything. That's the discipleship value. And today, we're going to talk about fellowship. 
So there are four foundations of Christian fellowship. Here's the first. God is at work gathering a spiritual family. And there's some really neat thoughts about this that are unveiled through Scripture. Here's the first, that God has planned it. Hebrews chapter 2 says, God is the one who made all things, and all things are for His glory. He wanted to have many children share His glory. That's Hebrews 2.10 in the, the New Century Version. We also discover that Jesus sings praises because of this spiritual family that God is, is gathering. Hebrews 2.11 and 12 in the New International Version read this way, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. There's that word again, family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And not only did God plan it and Jesus sing because of it, the Apostle Paul was blown away when he thought about this. He wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So God is gathering a spiritual family. God planned it. Jesus sings about it. Paul was blown away because of it. Here's the second foundation. The only way into this family is through a spiritual process. In John chapter 8, in John's Gospel, we find this conversation between Jesus and some of the religious leaders of his day. And that conversation sheds some light on this spiritual process. In verse 33, we find that they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now there's a contrast going on there between the relationship of a slave to the family and the, the role that a son plays in that family. And we discover some things about this spiritual process, this, this Christian fellowship that, that, that they were talking about. The first is that it, it doesn't come through a race or religion. The religious leaders were arguing that they already had it because they were Abraham's descendants. And Jesus was saying, you don't understand. There's a piece of the puzzle you're missing here. It, it does come through a relationship with God's Son. And so he points out this contrast between those who are slaves to sin and those who have already been set free and, and how the Son is the one who sets us free. He also tells us that it is permanent and it lasts forever. He says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And this is the kind of fellowship that he is inviting us into and wants us to know about. It's, it's a forever fellowship. Your part includes receiving and believing Jesus in order to be a part of that fellowship. So John begins with these words in the first chapter of his gospel. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So Jesus was saying that he was the one who'd created the world and come into the world and yet was not recognized by the world. But when we receive him as God's very own son and we believe in him, we are invited to become a part of God's very own family. 
And God adopts you through a spiritual birth. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.5, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is the plan that God has had all along, that he wanted you as a part of his family, that he wanted me as a part of his family. And that happens through the role and the work of Jesus Christ. So God is gathering a spiritual family. The only way into this family is through a spiritual process. It's not just something that comes to us by, by, by natural birth. And here's the third factor, third foundation. This family is marked by fellowship. So the church begins the first gathering of people who openly know Christ and know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And, and Luke describes this very first church that had experienced this reality in Acts 2.42. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. This concept of fellowship was one of the hallmarks of the early church. This is one of the most memorable features And it was a byproduct of new life in Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the aroma of fellowship was all around them so that all throughout the city of Jerusalem, people knew that this church was marked by their commitment to this deep fellowship. And then here's the fourth foundational piece. God wants me to experience it. God wants you to experience it. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the New Century Version, verses 14 and 15. I'm writing so that you'll know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church. Now, you and I live in an age when many people think that this concept of church is optional equipment. But that thought is clearly in opposition to what Paul and the apostles wrote. They didn't conceive of a Christian faith that was not rooted in the local church. So again, look at what Paul wrote here. I'm writing so that you'll know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church. That means that every week when we get together, whether we're here in our worship center or we're connecting throughout all of the other places that our lives take us, we get to practice what this concept of fellowship is like. And as we do so, we are learning what it means to be a part of the family of God because we're going to do this forever. And in the kingdom of heaven, we're going to be united with everybody else who belongs to Jesus Christ. So that the way that you and I give to each other, receive each other, show grace to each other, and partner with each other is an eternal investment in this relationship that we will enjoy for the rest of our lives. One reason why the local church today must not wander from the Bible's outlook is that we are tasked with preparing people to live as part of God's family forever. If you've been frustrated by church as you've known it so far, my invitation to you is to come on in and help make it better, richer, more loving, more generous, more life-giving, more grace-giving, more world-impacting. And we will do that by being Christ-centered in everything. Now that process starts by inviting Jesus Christ to establish His leadership in your life. And that process begins by recognizing that Jesus wasn't sent to people who don't need help. Actually, Jesus came into this world because we do need help and we've messed up our lives in a variety of different ways. Sometimes we willfully break God's commandments. Sometimes our best efforts simply fall short. 
Sometimes we realize that we are so far from the life God intended that we are not sure how we can ever get back on track. But when we, when we confess to God that we fall short, and when we transfer our trust to Jesus as the Redeemer and Restorer whom God has appointed for us, He gives us a new life and a new sense of hope and a new start. You can start that new life and that new hope right here, right now. You need to make a decision with your mind and with your heart. The first part of that decision is to agree with God that you cannot spiritually fix yourself. The second part of that decision is to recognize that Jesus can while you cannot. Jesus can. And then you need to tell that to the Lord. You need to put it into words something like this. Dear God, I know that my life falls short of your expectations. And what I hope you'll do is pray along with me. If, if you have uh, come to that point of recognizing you need to put your life in the leadership of Jesus and into His hands. Dear God, I know that my life falls short of your expectations. And I have contributed by ignoring or breaking your commands. I am opening my life and my heart to you. Please forgive me. Take whatever is broken in me. Heal it, transform it, and use it all for your glory. Today I'm placing my trust in Jesus as my Savior, leader, redeemer, and as my Lord. Help me to grow from this point to become the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. Now I have news for you. If you prayed that prayer, and if these concepts have broken through, that you can't spiritually fix yourself, but Jesus can, and you call on Him to do that, He will begin to make you new from the inside today. I hope that you'll let us know if you prayed that prayer. And we'd like to help you take the next steps that are involved in the process of growing to be more like Jesus and to experience the fullness of the fellowship He invites you into. So let me go back for a moment. Our key verses for today come from what's called the Great Commission, where Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The question rising from that is, how do I fully participate in the fellowship of the church? And that's what we're going to talk about with the few minutes that I have left. Here's the big idea answering that question. Fellowship is an attractive aroma of the rich life of a church family that loves Jesus and each other too. And the more and more that you and I dive into this rich life together, we become the aroma of Christ to the world. Now, there are four levels of fellowship that I want to focus on. The first one, it has to do with membership. Membership is about choosing to belong to God's family. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.19 in the Living Bible, you are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Some people get hung up on the concept of church membership. When you are born, you automatically become a part of the human race. But in this matter, you have a choice, whether you will or whether you will not become a part of God's family. We often hear people say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be a part of a church. But that doesn't make sense when we understand God's plan for His family. It's kind of like being a tuba player who doesn't want to be a part of a band or an orchestra. You can walk around playing your tuba all you want, but you'll never fully make music with other people, and you won't know harmonies. 
Or it's like being a bee but saying, I don't want to be part of the hive. Or being a soldier without a platoon. A Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. And God meant for us to be a part of a family. And the one who began this good work in you will be faithful to complete that work. God's Word calls us to belong to one another. In Romans 12, 5, we find these words from the Apostle Paul. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Look around the room. Look around wherever it is that you're watching from at home. You belong to all the rest. I belong to you, and you belong to me, and we're in this together. We're part of one fellowship that God is creating, one family that He longs to involve us in. The idea of being a member comes from human anatomy. Hands, livers, skin, etc. make sense in the concept of a body. Some people simply float from church to church looking for the hot church that's going to make them feel better. But when we do that, we never learn to function as part of a body. It takes patience. It takes commitment. It takes cooperation. It takes teamwork. Members of a church are people who openly declare their commitment to Jesus. They personally take the step of transferring their trust to Jesus, as I just unfolded a moment ago. They publicly demonstrate that faith by being baptized. Baptism is the public way of saying, I died to the old life, I'm living a new life because Christ has come into my life. Somebody else has called baptism the wedding ring of, of Christian life. The ring doesn't make you a Christian or doesn't make you married in that context. Rather, it's something that reminds you and it celebrates that. In the same way, baptism doesn't make us a Christian, but it celebrates many of the truths that are a part of our new experience. It doesn't save us, but it reminds us of that moment of deep, lasting commitment. I'm in the process of transitioning our 101 belonging class to an online class. And let me know if God is prompting you to become part of this fellowship soon. And I'd like to walk you through that. So the first level has to do with membership, choosing to belong. The second level of fellowship has to do with friendship, which is sharing life together. It's a deeper level than just saying, I, I belong. It's now experiential in nature. In Acts 2.44, we read these words about the very first church. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other. Now, the biblical word for fellowship in Greek is the word koinonia. Many of you may have heard that because it's one of those few Greek concepts that have carried into our English language. Koinonia literally means common life. And their common life was wrapped up in, in sharing what they had in the midst of a difficult predicament. At North River, we are committed to small group fellowships because it's in that uh, mode that we have an opportunity to share many elements of life. So what do we share together through our, our small group fellowships? Well, one, we share our experiences. We also share our homes. Many of our groups meet in, in homes rather than here at the church. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter wrote these words to the early church. Offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Hospitality is one of those great gifts that enfolds other people. Did you know that for the first 300 years of the church, there were no church buildings? They met in homes all around Europe and Asia. 
Sometimes they met outdoors underneath the trees and the leaves. Today we have a handful of small groups that meet here at our central location at North River Church, but most of our groups are in towns all around here surrounding uh, this area that allow people to meet with folks who are closer to home. And we also share our problems. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we share where we are struggling, and we pray for each other, and we encourage each other in these situations. In the small group that I'm a part of, uh, one of our, our team members got COVID a few months ago. And it was really interesting to see how the group responded to this woman. There were prayers, there were meals, there were finances contributed. Each person gave what they could, and we experienced great joy in doing that. Nobody forced us to do that. It was a a natural response from a group of people that are learning to see each other as extended family. One of North River's core values is the goal of transformation. We believe that life change happens best in the context of small group fellowships. So if you're not part of one of our small groups yet, we'd like to invite you to take that step. Some of these groups are serious Bible study groups. Some act almost more as support groups. Some are similar age groups. We have one that's young adults that are all in their their young 20s. Some are, are folks who are all in their 70s or older. We have a Saturday men's group. We have women's groups. And some are defined by neighborhoods. They're just people of all ages who live in the same area. But if you'd contact us here at the church, we'd love to get you connected to one of our small group fellowships. Again, here's the idea that we are tracing this morning. Fellowship is an attractive aroma of the rich life of a church family that loves Jesus, and because we love Jesus, that loves others too. Now, the third level of this partnership moves from membership and friendship to partnership. Partnership is doing my part in the work of the church. Paul writes of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, for we are God's co-workers. What an interesting thought. If if you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of Christ alive in you, you are a co-worker with God, that there are times when God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to be involved in what I'm doing. Don't just sit back and wait for me to redeem the world. I'm going to involve you in the process. Now think back through the Scriptures. We see this happening over and over. Moses is a guy who's run away from trouble. He's become a shepherd thinking that uh, the world has forgotten him and God taps him on the shoulder one day by a burning bush and says, Moses, I want to send you back because through you I'm going to redeem my people. We're in that, coming into that season where we celebrate the role of a young woman named Mary who was simply living a very simple life and God tapped her on the shoulder one day through a visit from an angel and said, I want to use you in my great redemptive work in the world. I'm going to bring my very own Son, the Son of God, into the world. And He's going to be the Savior of millions and millions of people who will live in the next generations. And Mary responded by saying, May it be to me as you have said. What a wonderful response. It's why she is due such honor by all of us today because that redemptive process in its final, fullest endeavor began that moment when Mary said, let it happen. Use me in that process. And God wants to use all of us. Partnership is realizing that I have a responsibility to do my part. Families do that. 
We divide up chores to make life around the home more manageable. We teach our kids to do that and to get involved in that. We enfold them into this discipline of life. Here is what is cool about our church fellowship. Whatever we do for the cause of Christ is going to last forever. That is not true with most things in life. There are an awful lot of things that we do in life that are quickly forgotten. But whatever you do for the Lord lasts forever because it contributes to the way that He is building up His family. In this way, fellowship becomes a gateway into ministry. So Paul writes in Ephesians 4.16, The whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and, and full of love. That's in the New Living Translation. And then there's one fourth level of fellowship. It has to do with something we call kinship. Loving believers like family. So John writes in 1 John 4.21, And He has given us this command. God has given us this command. Those who love God must also love one another. When you hear the word kinship, what comes to mind? Now, people of my age might think of Jed Clampett and kinfolk in kind of a southern comedy on television. When a medical emergency happens, the medical people are always looking for a next of kin in order to inform somebody about the predicament that you've gotten into or where you are or that you need help. And so we identify that person who is the closest member of our, of our family. Not everyone has close family nearby. So the Bible adds this thought, be devoted to one another in love. Christians receive this as a command from the Lord to be devoted to one another. And that means that we look at each other in a different way and we move into this fourth level of fellowship. This is God's dream for His church, that we become like family to each other. Now, I saw this happening on a regular basis when I was growing up as a, as a kid. My dad grew up, grew up in Jamaica Plain, a section of Boston, in a single-parent family. His dad died when my father was only two. But there were these two Scotsmen who emigrated to this country, and they moved into the same triple-decker that my dad lived in. They rented a, a unit that was above uh, my dad's family. And they all went to the same neighborhood church that was a short walk away from that triple-decker, and they became like family to each other. Eventually, their wives came over from Scotland, too, and they never had children, so they adopted my dad's family, and then my family as a next generation. We always called these two men Uncle John and Uncle Gordon, but there was no blood relationship, but I knew them until the day that they died well into their 90s. They were closer to me than my own grandparents. No blood relation, but they were very much a part of our family. We would spend Christmas with them. We would spend Thanksgiving with them. They would come for birthdays. Uncle John gave me my first car loan when I was 22 years old and couldn't qualify for a loan yet because I had no credit history. And he was so delighted when Sue and I paid off that loan a little bit early. The final few years of his life, Uncle John had Alzheimer's. And when I went to visit him, he didn't know me anymore. But you know what was interesting? He remembered my mom, who was a nurse and who took care of him in a lot of ways. He had told all the staff in the place where he was living about my mom, and they all knew the name Ann Atwater. When he looked at my business card that I handed him so that maybe he could read my name and maybe that would kick in, he saw my name, Paul Atwater, and his eyes all of a sudden lit up and he says, 
are you related to Ann Atwater? And, and he just started talking on and on about my mom. Here he was at 99 with almost no memory left, but he remembered this level of kinship. There was a lifelong experience. Why? Because my parents' family became his family right to the end. And sometimes that's the way that we relate to each other. One of the things that often surprises people who are outside the church is the closeness and the depth of feeling and connection that sometimes develops here at the church with other members of our large church family. It's because God is at work building this value of fellowship into us, and it's rich, and it lasts forever. And and we're invited into this kind of fellowship through the ministry of the very Son of God who welcomes us into that family and through the ongoing witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Which level of fellowship are you at? It doesn't matter which one, but the challenge is always to take the next step and to dive deeper into something that God is at work in doing in the midst of us. And all of this is part of the aroma of life that is what God is at work in doing through us. And the world is watching. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.15, For we are the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The whole world, the whole world watches and they pick up the aroma of what God is doing through us and in our midst. Fellowship is an attractive aroma of the rich life of a church family that loves Jesus and loves each other too. Why don't you join me in our closing prayer? Let's say this out loud together. Lord, thank you for including me in your family. Help me to find my place in this church family too. Help me to love others, to partner with others, to learn with others, and to belong, knowing that you are our common bond. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may his grace be with you all. Amen.